Um, as I was thinking and praying about what to share and what to talk about this weekend, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just kind of communicating to me and giving me the sense that there are a lot of people within our community um, who are discouraged. And there are a lot of people who are simply in need of encouragement. Um, and the thing is, I don't think you need encouragement from me. I don't think you really need encouragement from you know, your friends or your family. I'm sure you're receiving that encouragement. But I felt like God was sharing with me that there are people who need encouragement straight from the Word of God, straight from His mouth. And so um, if you find that you're in that kind of place, I'm so glad that you're spending this time with us today. Um, in order to do this, um, we're going to study the second half of John chapter 16. And we're simply going to go verse by verse. And I have found that as we study John chapter 16, it's one of the most encouraging chapters for me. Because not because it's it's so positive and because of the promises there. It's, it's not that. The reason why it's so encouraging is because of how realistic it is and how relevant it is and how relatable it is. So um, if you find yourself in a place of discouragement for whatever reason, um, I'm so glad that you're spending this time with us. And I hope that God speaks to you uh, during this time. So let's start at John chapter 16. I'm going to read 16 to 18. I'm reading from the NLT. It says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you will see me again. That's Jesus talking. And then in verse 17, it says, some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while, you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to the Father. Verse 18, and what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. As you begin this section, we can see that the disciples are confused. And I feel like in any time and season of discouragement, confusion is a part of it. That if you are discouraged, you are probably confused about something. You are possibly confused about why something is happening. You might be confused about why you are feeling a certain way. Um, you might be confused about uh, what happened around you or what you're feeling. Um, you may be discouraged because you don't know what to do next. Um, and you need to come up with a plan, but you're confused as to what your options are and you're not really sure what to do. And you know, like, as you struggle with tragedy or things happening around you that are, that are painful, the confusion makes it so much worse, doesn't it? Right? It's, it's one thing to experience tragedy and it's a whole nother thing to be confused about that tragedy. And it's, it's much easier to accept uh, it's much easier to process the pain when you kind of understand it. But when you're in a place of confusion, that makes it so much more difficult to move past whatever happened and to begin to experience healing. And so if you're in that place, if you're discouraged, you may be struggling with some sort of confusion in your life. And what I want you guys to notice is what Jesus says in response to chapter 16, verse 16 to 18, what Jesus says right after in verse 19, it says, Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while, you won't see me, but a little while after, you will see me again. The first piece of encouragement for you is that just like the way Jesus understood the confusion of the disciples, Jesus understands your confusion as well. Like Jesus gets it. He understands why you are confused about what you're dealing with in your life. He is aware at where you are at in your mind. He's aware of the questions that you are asking. He's aware of the questions you are struggling with. He knows how difficult it has been to process all the stuff 
that has been going on around you. And he knows how badly you want to understand. He knows how confusing the circumstances are. And, and if you're praying about it, he, he understands that you want to know what Jesus has to say about it. And if he's quiet or he's not speaking, he understands your confusion in that as well. He gets it. And I, I know that that may not offer a lot of comfort to someone, but I've realized that when you are at a place of discouragement and people don't understand why you are discouraged or you are at a place of confusion where you don't understand what's happening and then everyone around you, they don't understand why you feel that way, that could make it so, so much worse. When people say things to you like, why don't you understand? Why don't you get it? It's even harder when you are discouraged and you feel like people don't understand. But this verse here tells us that Jesus does, in fact, understand your confusion. And if you think about it, Jesus, if he was frustrated with anyone's confusion, it would be his disciples. Because he's explained many, many times what he means by all these things. However, in that place of confusion, Jesus is not frustrated or angry or annoyed he knows they're confused, and he understands why they're confused, and he responds to their confusion. So he sees you now. He sees you where you are. He sees you floundering and questioning and wondering. He sees your discouragement, and he knows, and he gets it, and he's not condemning you, and he's not judging you for it. Now, the thing is, even though Jesus does understand the confusion of the disciples, and even though he understands where you are at, he doesn't always respond the way we want him to respond. Because listen, listen to Jesus' answer as he begins to explain to the disciples. So this is John chapter 16, starting from verse 20, and we're going to read until 20, 22. He says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve but your grief will suddenly turn to joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. So what I want you guys to notice in these few verses is more what was not said versus what was said. See, what Jesus doesn't give here in this time of confusion for the disciples is he doesn't give clear answers and explanations. Jesus does not explain how, um, how things are going to change and what's actually going to happen. What does he focus on? Jesus focuses on this is how the world will feel in that moment. And this is how you will feel in that moment. Jesus is explaining about the experience of going through the pain and the struggle and the discouragement that they're about to go through. He doesn't talk about the positive outcomes. He doesn't talk about the promises. He doesn't actually tell them what's going to happen. He doesn't, he doesn't explain it to them and give clear answers. There's no mention of his death and his burial and his resurrection. There's no mention of the significance theologically for what this means. He, he's not explaining this in any way. There's no mention of his death and resurrection. It does, he doesn't mention what this is going to start. He doesn't mention the early church. He doesn't mention this world-changing ministry that is going to last for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. 
It doesn't talk about the impact that their faithfulness will have one day, that even though they go through this, the, all these things are going to happen, so it's worth it, so stay strong. There's no, there's no promises, no visions of, of, of what God is going to do through their faithfulness. He doesn't talk about any of that. He doesn't provide any clear answers. Instead, he focuses on their experience through it all. He focuses on what they're going to feel and what they're going to think and how they're going to be on the inside and how they're going to internally deal with what's going to happen next. So I don't know why he does this, but I feel like this indicates something really, really significant. This indicates that what matters most to Jesus in this time, and maybe for you, is your experience through it all. The, the, the feelings that you have, the emotions that you have, the thoughts that you have through it all. That Jesus is not so much concerned with the positive outcomes because he already knows the positive outcomes. But that what Jesus is maybe most concerned about is how you experience it, how you are challenged through it, how you grow through it, and how your character develops and how your faith grows in all of that. I feel like Jesus is not concerned about what's going to happen at the end because he already knows. What he is concerned about is how you will respond to the state of affairs that you are in. How you will deal with internally and externally how you are going to struggle through it and how you are going to deal with it. Now let's look at the next section. Let's look at verses 23 to 24. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, At that time you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Now, this is kind of a strange little section here. But to understand it, I think we have to focus on two key words or phrases. The first one is the word anything. What is the nature of anything? What is he really talking about? See, I don't think he's talking about getting all your prayers answered with a yes, if you just tack on the secret code words, you know, pray in Jesus' name, then God will answer all your prayers. I think what he's referring to, based on the context, is that the anything refers to the desire for clarity. Any question of clarity will be answered. See, right before this, he actually talks about the Holy Spirit. We didn't read this verse, but he talks about how the Holy Spirit will guide them into all truth. He's talking about confusion and finding understanding. And I want you to look at what he says about the Holy Spirit in chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. He says, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. You can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So this is actually really significant because it's related to our second phrase that we need to understand to understand verses 23 and 24. And it's the phrase, at that time. See, what I think Jesus is saying here is you will understand and clarity will come to you at that time. Because as he said in, the, in, in that verse about the Holy Spirit, there is a time where you could receive the answer and you can't bear it, that we cannot handle it. Meaning that there is a time when we will be ready for clarity and there is a time when we will be ready for the answers and they will come. He promises that the confusion will end and we will understand at some point. But we have to admit, even though we may not like to admit this, that the truth is that there are times when we are not ready for the answers. That there are times when the answers will not help. 
There are times where the answers will not satisfy. There are times where the answers will not give us encouragement, and we will struggle because of that. And Jesus understands that, especially in times of pain and tragedy and discouragement, that any sort of answer will never be good enough. And so Jesus understands that there is timing in revealing the truth. There is time, timing as far as clarity and understanding our pain, our tragedy, and our discouragement. Now let's move on to the next few verses. Look at verses 25 to 28. Jesus says, I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Verse 28, yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Now again, Jesus is speaking on the topic of clarity here. And he's saying that at, at a certain point in time, the Father will explain things to you directly, that he doesn't have to act as a mediator. He doesn't have to act as a go-between, passing the notes between the two of you, because the Father dearly loves you. Right? That love is the motivation for why God wants to deal with you directly. And he wants to have a personal, direct relationship with you. And he wants to answer your questions, but he wants to do it in a way that is best for you, that is most helpful and most meaningful for you. Why? Because he loves you. And so he's not just going to unload all the answers. He's going to speak to you in the way that you need to be spoken to, and he will speak to you at the time you need to be spoken to you, all because he loves you. And I think it's significant that we have to notice here. That, it, that we have to understand that Jesus doesn't die on the cross so that the Father would love you. You know, he doesn't die on the cross so that God would love you. He didn't, ha he didn't die on the cross so that your sins would be washed away, that you would be forgiven first, and you would be clean now, and now you can come to him, and now you can earn his love, and now he will love you. No, no. Jesus didn't die so that the Father would love you. Jesus died because the Father loved you. He went to the cross because the Father loved you. And what's interesting is after this section, there is this strange sigh of relief from the disciples. They hear this. And I have this feeling that it has nothing to do with what Jesus said from 25 to 27. But after Jesus says what he says in verse 28, the disciples respond with this sense of relief. And, and you can kind of see the encouragement building in their hearts as they say it. Because l l listen to what they say in verse 29 and 30. Then his disciples said, at last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything. There's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. So what did he say? What Jesus said in verse 28 was, Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. So in response to that, in response to that statement where Jesus says, Yes, I've come from the Father, they are relieved. In response to that, they are encouraged. You can sense that they're not really confused, or, or they're still confused, but they feel much better about the confusion. But what's interesting about this moment in the conversation is that the clarity that brought the encouragement had nothing to do with the original question. The original question that came up in verse 17 is, what do you mean, Jesus? When you say in a little while you're going to go away and then you're going to come back and you're going to the Father, we don't really get that. What does that all mean? That's the original question. 
But what brought encouragement, what helped them through this moment was not the answer to that question. It was an answer to a deeper question, a different question. It's not because they received to the answer to the question in verse 17 that brought encouragement. It's because of the real question behind that question, the deeper question. And the question they really had, the deeper question that they needed to have answered was the question of, Jesus, who are you? Who are you really, Jesus? If we only could understand who you are, all this other stuff wouldn't matter so much. And in verse 28, they feel like Jesus finally, for the first time, even though it wasn't actually the first time, they felt that for the first time, Jesus actually clearly answered the question. And it was when they had confidence in that answer, when they knew who Jesus was, that they were encouraged. It was not when they received the answers to the questions they were asking. It was when they understood who Jesus was that they found strength, they found peace, and they found joy in spite of being discouraged and confused. So listen to look at what they said in verse 30. You know, what, what do we see in, in their statement in verse 30? It says, Now we understand you know everything, and there is no need to question you. There's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. So what does this statement mean? What does this statement indicate? What does this statement express? What changed for them? It says, we don't need to question you anymore. And the answer is that in this moment, they now trust him. When they say, we don't have to question you, they're showing that they now trust him. Because you don't question those or things that you trust in. You, we question the people and the things and the institutions that we don't trust. But when you trust, there's no need to question anymore. So we can see that in verse 30, the disciples are now beginning to trust Jesus because they know who he is. And this, this is so important. This is what brought encouragement. Again, not answers to the question, not promises, not positive outcomes, but an understanding of who Jesus was that led them to trust him more. And I feel like this is so true. And I feel like this is so hard, though. That the answer we most need answered in life, in times of discouragement and confusion, is not really the answer to the question, why, did this, why does this happen? Or why did this happen? It's because in those times, you know, honestly, I'm not really ready for those answers. Generally, no answer will satisfy me or make me feel better or really help me. What we really need is not answers, what we really need is trust. And I know that is much easier to say than to do, but what we truly need at the heart of the matter is that we need to trust in Jesus. We need to trust that Jesus knows what you're going through. We need to trust that Jesus is walking with you through it. We need to trust that Jesus is not condemning you for it, we need to trust that Jesus' timing is perfect and that he will bring us out of it, but at the time that he knows. And at the end of the day, what we need to trust in is what he says 
at the end of John chapter 16. Let's read those last few words, starting from verse 31. Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father was with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This verse here, verse 33, is a pretty famous verse. I have overcome the world. And so what we have to trust in at the end of the day is do we trust that Jesus has overcome the world? Now, for me, I've always had a difficult time understanding this verse. It's a, it's a really cool-sounding verse, um, but it's one of those verses that when I sat to think about it, I didn't really know what that meant. It's something to get excited over and, and, and be encouraged by, but a lot of times I didn't even really know what it meant that Jesus overcame the world. But as I sat to think about it, as I began to study it, what I realized is, number one, that he's referring to the cross. That this statement is in reference to the cross, to the death and the resurrection that he will experience. And so it is through the cross, it is through his death and resurrection that Jesus has overcome the world. So what does that mean? It means two things. Firstly, it means that all trials and sorrows will have an end. I want you to hear me if you're in a place of discouragement. All trials, all sorrows will have an end. We can trust in that because Jesus died and was resurrected. And he promised to us that trials and sorrows will have an end. It is a guarantee and fact that you will face trials and sorrows. Absolutely. You will face pain and suffering in life. That is a guarantee. But it is also a guarantee and a fact that those trials in Jesus will come to an end someday. That those sorrows, those trials, that pain, that confusion, that anger, that anxiety, it will not last forever. And I know that for some of you, it feels like it'll last forever. And it feels like you've been struggling with it for so, so long. But Jesus has overcome the world, meaning that those trials and sorrows, they will one day come to an end. That although whatever discouragement you might be going through feels permanent, I assure you, I assure you, in Jesus, they are temporary and they will have an end. And secondly, when we say that Jesus has overcome this, the world, what it means is that because there will be an end to all the trials, all the sorrows, all the suffering, and all the pain, it means that with Jesus, that Jesus carries the power of transformation. Jesus carries the power of transformation. Look at what it says earlier, what Jesus says earlier in the chapter in verses 20 and 21. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives away, gives away to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. 
when we say and understand and trust that Jesus has overcome the world, what we are declaring, what we are believing in is that Jesus carries with him the power of transformation to turn grief into joy, to turn suffering into praise. Now, I want you to understand that what he says here is he's going to transform it. He's going to change it. He's not going to replace it, meaning he's not going to give us something different and better to distract us from the pain and distract us from the suffering so that we can ignore it and pretend like it never happened. No, he doesn't replace it. He transforms it, meaning that he will take our obstacles and he will transform them into stepping stones. That it's only an obstacle when there is no end, but he has put an end to all these things. So every obstacle that you face, Jesus can transform it into a stepping stone. Every roadblock into a stepping stone. Jesus carries within himself the power of transformation. So that the things that you are suffering with, they will end. And at the end of the day, he will transform them to make them into a part of your story. He will transform them so that they become, become a part of God's story in your life and they become a part of who you are and they become a part of why you are the way you are. They become a part of your growth, your change, and your own personal transformation that Jesus and the Holy Spirit brings to your life. See, what we can trust in is that when we say Jesus has overcome the world, we can trust that there will be an end to all the sorrow, pain, and confusion. And not only that, but Jesus can transform the sorrow and the pain and confusion to lead you into the life that he wants you to have. And at the end of it all, the reason why Jesus does this, what he wants to offer us in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have peace. Not necessarily answers, not necessarily outcomes, but peace. Deep, personal peace that is born out of deep trust in him. I want that for me. I want peace in my life. And I want that for you. And I think you want that for you. But like we said, that peace, where does it come from? It doesn't come from outcomes or circumstances. It comes from trust. Trust in who Jesus is and trust in what Jesus has done. Jesus has overcome the world. Your season of discouragement and confusion, it will come to an end. And Jesus will transform that. And through that, Jesus will transform you. So if you find yourself in a place of discouragement, I want to pray for you that you would begin to trust in him, that you would trust in him so that he would create and build within you a deep sense of his peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that you understand our confusion and our pain. And I thank you that you have given us an opportunity to hear from your words. Lord, if there's anyone who is suffering and struggling through a season and a period of, di of discouragement and confusion and pain, I pray, God, that we may humble ourselves and come to you and not necessarily seek answers and demand answers or demand outcomes, but that you would just help us to know who you are and help us to know how trustworthy you are. And Father, I pray, God, that you would transform the sorrow and the pain that we're struggling with and you would turn it into joy, you would turn it into praise, and you would turn it into peace. Thank you so much for loving us this way. I pray that we may lay all our burdens, all our, sor all our sorrows, our, all, all our trials at your feet in this moment. Thank you for bearing this burden. Thank you for overcoming the world. We trust in you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.